The man had read his Lewis, and since the flowery period of his youth had envisioned space as bright, vibrant, teeming with potential, dripping with ethereal substance. As the inevitable loneliness crept into his heart, coursing coldly through hidden veins, Vivian seemed to forget all the dreams he had supplied himself, prepared himself with. Suddenly, space seemed a potently appropriate term for the expanse beyond him, the piercing emptiness of the universe somehow closing in around him in the undeniable dark. He became aware of the hum of the engines, the occasional whirring of the oxygen valves. The air was, in an instant, unfamiliar to his lungs. It was stale, cold, and everything a man ought not be, let alone a man in his position. Then again, he thought, perhaps it was fitting. It was humbling, if nothing else. His hands shook deep inside their gloves, violently, longing to hold something real. He thought, with a certain apprehension, that he might accidentally strangle the next living thing to enter his grip. Even this could not sway his desire, buried somewhere deeper than reason could ever trek, than rationale could ever unearth. The very gravity that graciously allowed Vivian's head to fall between his knees in despair now had its nature known, its very lack of nature itself. Being lost in a lulling reflection on the complexity of his circumstance led Vivian only further into the valleys of sadness that rippled and cracked between the sprawling hills of his consciousness. Their sprawling, he knew, would soon cease. Soon all would be level. The earth had taken this leap first, and he was to follow. Yet the universe grew relentlessly, conquering whatever greater unnamed void lay beyond, and with none of the clumsiness of organic expedition. The hosts of heaven, he knew, were not to stumble into their great hall. They were to strive forth, and not forth, in every direction at once, the perfect armada, or as Vivian for the first time was considering, the perfect plague. His loneliness was magnified as his mind, seemingly without any force of his own, recalled the great tragedies of the earth and suggested almost with certainty that each world, living or dead, was destined for the quiet misery of his own, each life called only to desperation, strife, and an overwhelming dread of the unquestionable insignificance of its existence. Vivian had cried out to the stars, and none had shone brighter than before. The universe, now more than ever, rang with a silent, deafening indifference. The man, who just moments ago had deemed himself a hero of humanity, vomited violently onto the cool metal floor. The mind of the man who just moments ago felt himself as the central figure of some exhilarating space opera sank into a deep depression as it made the painfully slow crawl from pride to resentment. The hands of the man who now hated the efforts taken to make his research possible, for it seemed a kind of distasteful abuse that every resource must now be devoted to preserving a single human life rather than to facing the manifest destiny of the species, found themselves painting abstractly in the bile spilled before them. The heat radiated through his gloves, which had been designed for onboard research rather than surface exploration. It was the warmest thing he had felt in months. Disgusted with himself, Vivian wept aloud, 
the stars shone no brighter than before. In fact, they seemed to grow dimmer. It was as if the universe was no longer indifferent, but now reveled in the suffering of its sobbing child. Vivian, even in weakness, would not allow such thoughts to live much longer in his mind, certainly not if the mind itself would soon expire. Perhaps he was on the verge of madness, perhaps only of sleep. Might one bring about the other? He closed his eyes. In much less than an instant, they were open again, and Vivian thought his chest might collapse. It was death, and death alone, that flashed behind his now unblinking eyelids. He had feared that should he take rest, he would dream of the faces of his lost brothers and sisters. Reality was not so kind to its only remaining audience member. Vivian begged for a brief moment that the curtain would close, that mankind itself would fade into darkness. He realized now that, until the loneliness had set upon him, he had thought of himself, or at least of his race, as the universe. Relentless expansion, a never-ending sprawl. He knew now that the hills must be collapsing, for the longing was no longer for life, but for death. He had no desire, no need, to be the last dying star in the cosmos of the human story. When his eyes had closed, Vivian saw only the violent inferno, the evaporation of machinery made to send his crew home, the last resort up in flames. Mechanisms so similar to those that he relied upon that the cool metal beneath him now seemed to rise in temperature. The blaze. Perhaps he too would soon be blasted into non-existence, his now-rejected heroism the last cruel trick of nature before completely eliminating its holy, selfish creation. Vivian looked down. He was now sitting in the bile. Perfectly level, he said to himself, with an elicitous sarcasm. There was no relief. The distaste was tangible, and the sound of his voice only increased the isolation in his soul. 254 miles below, just as Vivian rose from his knees, Greenwald was falling to his. Praying out loud to the god of a broken ancient promise, tight skin scraped against unforgiving concrete. Even he was not sure if this was an accident or an unconscious attempt at pittance. He was remembering something his father had told him years ago, something about the nature of God. It couldn't change, he knew that, no, it was the rules that changed. God doesn't break promises, he changes the rules. This was not comforting. Greenwald had believed in absolute sovereignty, predestination, and all those Calvinist doctrines since his earliest days of understanding. Indeed, each day of his life lived consciously was consumed by the contemplation and justification of the Protestant descriptors. Perhaps he had even lost himself in the terminology and failed to notice, for in this moment of peril each attribute of his god seemed but a fictitious, cultish slur, without meaning and without redemption. God changes the rules, came the whisper through the slow grinding of teeth fated to never break bread, never to be stained red with wine again. For a moment his mind went quiet and Greenwald became aware of the ominous drip of the door overhead. He glanced instinctively around the basement, his tired eyes searching in the dark for an imaginary escape. With the fruitlessness of this act, and perhaps all others, weighing down on his shoulders, Greenwald slumped them forward and thought of the world above. 
He thought of the strivings of man, the pursuit of beauty and truth, the seeking of some secret great ideal, the transformation of this into a lust for comfort and convenience, the wrath of God, the cities of Greece, of Egypt, of England, of Mesopotamia, of China. They came out of order in his mind. They came as a blur, a phantasm of progress, a flash of light in the dark infinitude of history. Or, he thought, a speck of darkness in the everlasting light of the cosmos. He thought of the water, great terrible waves. The door above seemed to be weeping now, all but a steady stream of liquid grief finding its way through the old rotten wood of an old rotten house in an old rotten world. Greenwald thought of the men who built his house, for someone must have, ages ago. He thought of craftsmanship, of nobility, of integrity. He thought of all the complexity of modern existence, in all the times his heart had longed for the simple. Now that it had come, now that all had been washed away, this same heart was plagued with a kind of disbelieving despair. The man on his knees slapped himself repeatedly, harshly. It began as a desperate attempt to wake himself from what must be a terrible dream and quickly became a violent scrambling for atonement. The last window of heaven, the final firmament, shot down with a splintering, shattering force. Greenwald cried aloud in the dark, for the water came gushing in so wholly, with such determination, that no light could be seen even through the last gaping gate of the stronghold of man. For a second, the tide seemed nearly annoyed at Greenwald's presence. For one slipping second, the tide was neither an uncaring force of nature nor an ethereal weapon of oblivion, but God himself, making his final amends, cleaning up the afterthoughts, killing all hope for the weasels who had darted beneath the surface to escape his undying wrath. The tension that gave his body buoyancy as he laid back into his pocket of the vast spreading sea seemed now the barrier between the black speck of human depravity and the absolute purity of an uncensored shine. Something like the roar of a thousand lions filled his ears, and then water. Greenwald felt certain, for the first time in his beautiful, violent life, that he had heard the voice of God, and then water. On the surface, it seemed the stars themselves might soon come crashing upon the earth. Giant gray clouds whirled around a gaping hole in what seemed to be the very fabric of their atmosphere. As the culprit crashed harshly into the seas of desolation, the gray masses of condemnation linked hands once more. In a world with no ears, the tumbling of metal, the death of another man, was now akin to the phantasmal footsteps that bring a curious moment of hush, exceedingly temporal in memory, to a long evening of fellowship.